Are you ready to start being visible? Well, you have come to the right place. Welcome to the Start Being Visible podcast. My name is Mildred Talabi. I've spent most of my working life mastering the art of personal branding in my career as a former journalist and communications professional and in my business, which has taken on various forms over the years. I now spend my time championing and coaching women to increase their influence, income and impact through being visible on platforms like LinkedIn and beyond. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you my insights into the journey to be invisible, as well as bringing you amazing candid conversations with female leaders who have chosen to step out of the shadows and into the limelight in their work lives. Now, I want you to hit the subscribe button and get ready to start your own journey to be invisible with today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to the Start Being Visible podcast with me, Mildred Talabi. We are going to have a really great session tonight because this episode of Start Being Visible is a guest episode. So in just a moment, I am going to introduce you to my special guest for this episode of Start Being Visible. And if this is your first time watching Start Being Visible, welcome, welcome. I am so pleased to have you here. Now, this show is all about how you can start being visible. Now, what do I mean by that? It means if for you, and I'm speaking to the ladies here, it means that you get the opportunity on this show to learn, to be inspired, to be encouraged, to be motivated, to step out of the shadows and into the limelight in your own work life. It's about taking center stage of your owning your skills, owning your expertise, owning everything that you've been, all the fabulousness that you've been created to be and to do. So this is the show that allows you to do that. So I do solo conversations and I also bring amazing guest conversations like the one that I'm going to have today with my very awesome guest today. She is a truly, truly awesome woman. I've watched her progress for quite a while on Instagram and then LinkedIn. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But her name is Hannah Awanuga. Now, Hannah is considered one of the most inspirational and influential diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners in the UK. She has many awards awards under her belt in this area. She's a thought leader, she's a speaker, and she recently joined Knight Frank, the global real estate consultancy, as the group head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, prior to this, Hannah was the global DEI director at Barclays Bank, where she started her career in banking at just 17 years old before she transitioned into diversity and inclusion. Now, today, Hannah serves as a non-executive director for the UK government membership body, Progress Together, which has been set up to increase socioeconomic diversity at senior leadership level across the UK financial services. Now, that's pretty big, pretty impressive stuff she's doing there, you know. Without any further ado, as they say, please help me welcome to the stage the very lovely Hannah Awaniga. Hello, Hannah. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I am good, and it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. 
lovely to be here. Hannah, you and my brother-in-law, Toby, go go way <laughs> back. <laughs> you know, yeah, way yeah. back. So I sent him a message and I said, hey, Toby, I'm going to be talking to Hannah tomorrow. What should I ask her, right? And here's what he said. <laughs> it's so funny. He said, can you ask her if she remembers my mum's jollof and if she loved my mum's jollof rice? Absolutely love Antibuki's jollof rice. Best <laughs> ever. Well, let me be careful before I offend my mother or my husband. Um, but one of the best, absolutely. I would totally have to agree with that. I'm like, of all the places in the world, you can ask this wonderful young lady, but the jollof debate is a big one. So I'm glad we saw that. And I agree with you, by the way. Mum-in-law was the best at the jollof rice. But okay, so listen, your CV, Hannah, is quite remarkable for someone that is still so young. I mean, there's so much that you've done and, and you've gotten to a really high level in your career. Would you describe yourself as ambitious? Yeah, absolutely. I'd absolutely describe myself as ambitious. Um, but also, if you if you think about it from a socioeconomic perspective, there's also that kind of allows you, affords you the opportunities that maybe you didn't have when you're growing up. There's ambition to want to progress and be successful. But then there's also this almost recognition of wanting to make sure that you have a better life for your children as well. Mm. And I know that because you're quite public about this in terms of that whole having a better life because you started life at a young age kind of living independently I know this is part of your bio from the age of 15 can you talk to us a little bit more about the scenario around you growing up how was that for you yeah absolutely um families are interesting right you don't get to choose your family and um the dynamics of family and also can be quite quite interesting I I describe it as the battle of the cultures right my parents are like strict Nigerian people and and they brought me up in London Bermondsey so actually that kind of battle of two cultures was really interesting and back in the day maybe there was not as much you know today you know we communicate a lot with our kids we want to understand I I don't think that was really there at that in that era should I say and so at the age of 15 my family household broke down and I I found myself homeless and then, you know, I, I started my life quite early. So at 16, I walked into the Halifax and got a job as a cashier, spent one year at Halifax at 16, 17 years old. And and at this point you were, because I know you, um, you were born in Bermondsey and then you lived in Derby for a while and then you came back to South London. Is that correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you were in South London at this time. Now, South London has its reputation, it's not, you know, can be a little bit rough. So did you experience some of that roughness growing up? Um, Yeah, of course, right. Like in just in school and, you know, as a young person trying to find yourself, my son is going to be 16. And so I'm almost seeing what I must have been like, right, you know, and so just them at that school time where you're still at that young age trying to find yourself and you go to a school people from all different backgrounds are there and so you see gang crime you see all of that type of thing and it's easy to fall into anything like that right the people you hang around the people you're with and so it's about choices and just luckily for me I recognized quite quickly that if I didn't do something productive if I didn't try and force myself out of that kind of living in a council state, growing up in a council state, going to a mixed kind of state school. If I didn't if I didn't make the choices to kind of move myself out of that, then it's easy to stay there. It's easy to kind of immerse yourself in that. And that leads to, you know, various different walks of life. But I kind of quickly knew that actually, you know what, if I'm not going to go to college, I, I probably should get a job and 
And at the time, you know, people when people say, you know, what did you want to be when you grow up? Like, I wanted to work in the bank. That was when I was so young. That was it. So actually, that became a dream for me. And so as, as soon as I was able to be of age, that's half I took. And at the time, I was a cashier. And so it wasn't about a career. It was about getting a job. It was about actually having you need to survive. And you need to find yourself something that's going to help sustain you. Through that, actually, then you start to think about, okay, well, you know, there's other roles you can do in this job and you can you can grow. And there's a lot of things you don't know. I've spoken a lot even today and yesterday around this kind of psychological contract that you have in corporate spaces where there's loads of things that are kind of, if you don't know about them or it doesn't, if you don't come from a professional background, actually, you won't know. I make the joke heard it a few years ago where somebody said look they used to be asked to go for coffee and they used to be like I don't drink coffee but actually not recognizing that that coffee invite is an opportunity for you to sell yourself to show yourself to show what you're capable of to meet senior leaders just all of them things that actually if you don't come from them backgrounds or if you're not in them networks you don't actually know and so yeah school was really school was not tough it was okay um I had a really good head teacher at the time who kind of helped me navigate and kind of keep me on the straight and narrow and then when I you know when I had to make a few choices I feel like I made some of the right the most the more sensible choices that have led me to Mm. so at the time and by the way I can totally relate to that going for coffee and non-stop tea in the workplace when I was started out in the work I'm like what's the I don't even drink tea I mean what's the non-stop tea making stuff you know but yeah, if you don't, if you're not from there, like you said, it, it's kind of like a culture you have to learn and adapt to over time. And clearly you've done well at it, as well as other things for where you are in your career. So, and we will talk about that a bit more. At this time, so you're 16, you're ended up, you're living on your own and you, you kind of had this choice of, do I make this choice? Do I make that other choice? What made you make the right choice? Because it would have been just as easy for you to go down another route I'm assuming your parents weren't around at the time to kind of guide you in that decision. So it was all kind of independent. What what made you make those choices? I think so. It is ambition now and it what it has been for a number of years. And so at that point, it was sink or swim. And it was kind of like either you're going to sink because, you know, you're young, you don't have anybody around you, no mentor, no sponsor, no kind of family support or you're going to swim and you're going to make your way. And so there was no choice for me. It was like, you have to find work. You have to find something to do. You have to keep your kind of keep yourself busy. And so because I had had this aspiration of working in the bank, it just felt like, well, I'm going to try and go and work in the bank. And I tell this story many times, but, you know, I walked into the bank at the age of 16 and I was wearing a hooded jacket, a pair of jeans, trainers to my interview. The lady who interviewed me she was awesome and she said look Hannah, I really like you but go and get yourself a pair of trousers and a shirt and come back for the second interview and so actually that piece of advice that probably felt like really nothing to her changed my life right because that little piece of advice I took I gone I went got a shirt got a pair of trousers went to the second interview they offered me a job and I started at the Halifax and so actually it wasn't about ambition at that point it was about you know, sink or swim. If I knew I wanted to swim, I had to get myself into a job. And it wasn't, oh, I need to find a career. It was, I need to find a job. It was not until I got in there and recognised the kind of different roles you can do and actually how people live and the earning potential and the, the change that I wanted to be that I that I realised actually I could build a career in banking. 
So jumping forward and then we'll come back a bit. So you said you had this lady who saw you come in with your hoodie and jeans and she's like, you know, I'm going to take a chance on you essentially, right? Find that you've been the lady on that other side of the table for other young women, maybe men too, in your career along the, along the years. Have you found yourself like looking at somebody who reminded you of yourself and you've kind of taken a chance on them and supported them in their career? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've always felt that as soon as I've became in a position to be somebody, to be a mentor, to be a sponsor, to to give people opportunities, that I would like to be able to give people the same opportunity that that lady gave to me. And I'm really rooted in that. I'm really, really rooted in, you know, because ultimately if it wasn't for that one opportunity, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be here today. So I often think about how and what ways I can do to just support somebody. It doesn't always need to be giving a person a job. It could be giving people advice. It could be talking to somebody about how they navigate a relationship at work or navigate a situation that they're dealing with. I think that's what really led me to DNI because actually I, I suppose I felt I kind of started to look around and and notice that people out there didn't see nobody that looked like me. Didn't see nobody that sounded like me or came from where I came from. And so you start to think, well, why? Why is that? You know, and, and you start to ask questions and probe. When people say that there's just no talent out there, which is absolutely ridiculous, you you start to challenge that a little bit and say, well, actually, no, that's not right. Are you looking in the right places? Are you speaking to the right people? Are you in the right circles? Are you making effort? Are you making intention about? the decisions you make around where you find talent and so that's that's where I really um found DNI is looking at actually there were not many people that looked like me anywhere and that's why the the kind of the race and ethnicity conversation is a little bit different because representation is low everywhere in every sector in the world and so yeah that's what led me to DEI but naturally I became a branch manager at the age of 21 I was an area manager at the age of 23 leadership roles I started to hire people myself no one else is doing it I'm going to do it and now some of them people that I've just gave a chance are flying in very senior roles doing amazing stuff and so someone once told me you get more promotions in the pub than in the workplace you know so about in relation to your point about going for coffees etc how did you learn to navigate the corporate world when did you come to that understanding that, okay, if I'm going to progress, these are what I need to do. I might need to drink coffees. I might play golf, whatever it is, whatever the game is. How did you learn the game? I don't know if I've even learned it yet. <laughs> I don't know if I've, I've learned the game. I suppose at the time when you're younger, maybe you need to learn the game. Now I'm just authentically who I am. And so I suppose now I'm more bolder, more outspoken, more curious. I suppose at the at the earlier at the earlier years of my career, it it might have just been by observation and actually speaking to people and putting yourself out there and asking questions and and really looking around and being attentive to what you can see because it's around you. It's just that it is all around you. And I was having this conversation with a really interesting colleague today about it's around you, but you don't see it unless you know it's around you. You know, you could hear that something's going on. You can see two people walking off for coffees and, you know, you can see. And, and actually, if you don't know, if you're not cognizant to that, then you don't know that there's a game that's being played or that there's a unspoken, unwritten kind of rules. 
that's why mentors and sponsors are really critical because actually you should have sponsors and mentors and they shouldn't always look like you. Like get people that surround yourself. It's the DNI conversation, right? Surround yourself with diversity of people. So actually you get diverse perspectives. And I think even black people need to do that. Even ethnically diverse people need to do that. Because yeah, for you know, for the first early years, I didn't play the game and my career was quite slow. And then when I realized that to somebody, oh, I want to progress and said, well, have you spoken to this person? I was like, well, why would I speak to them? And then they were like, because actually that's where you want to be. So you should speak to them and find out how they got there. And I thought, oh, wow, actually, yeah, you're so right. Just through them conversations, you know, this whole notion of get your head down and do work, work hard actually isn't real. It's not real Um, to be able to get your head down, do work, be excellent, you know, and not excellent over exacerbated it, you know, that we have to achieve that overachievement just to be middle ground. Your work is excellent, but then also you've got great networks, you've got great sponsors, you've got great mentors, and so you re- you position yourself into in a in a great place. And I'm so glad you mentioned that whole point about keeping your head down and getting on with the work. It's something that so many of the women that I work with in the line of work that I do in LinkedIn coaching, etc., they struggle with in the corporate world because it's kind of like for a lot of women, it's that whole idea of just keep your head down, keep working your hard work will be will speak for you you know and and this is where that whole visibility piece comes into and we're going to talk about this later but it's like actually your your work doesn't have a voice if you don't give it voice yeah it sounds like this is something that you learn at that point in your career kind of adjusted to is that right absolutely you grow and you learn naturally but it's about what do you how do you learn the things that are going to add value and what do you place on value so if visibility is important to you, then absolutely, that's what you put your, you know, if, if promotion or or connections and networks, you, finding out what's important to you and then leaning into that and then finding people who are already in that space doing that. Um, and also, we sometimes think we have to do it all on our own, have this mm-hmm. notion of, you know, you just got to get on with it. I don't believe that. I think that if you really want to go far, you need to go potentially others who have done it before you potentially others who are also on that journey who are going to champion you and push you and drive you and challenge you do you know the funny thing is so we've talked about your corporate career and and there are there is more in there I want to talk about but I just want to go to because I know you had a business and that's actually how I first come to came to know of you through rarity and I used to follow you on Instagram and you used to do this corporate clothing she's got style (laughs) you know (laughs) And it was just the clothes and everything. It was just awesome. So I know you're still in this banking career. And then you kind of had this side hustle with Rarity London as you're still going. Talk to us about the balance. What made you set up Rarity? What is it doing now? And how did you balance both? Yeah, absolutely. It's so fascinating because actually it's such a business is evolution, like it's in evolution, right? So you start one place and you may find yourself in a completely different place, which is what happened with me. So Rarity had many iterations, but ultimately the problem statement with it was I didn't have, I didn't find any, anywhere that did like nice corporate wear, you know, like it's going into the office every day. And like, you know, I, I do like to like dress up and wear heels and wear dresses and stuff. I just felt like I couldn't find anything that um, would fit me. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just make my own. <laughs> and so no fashion design experience. But like just kind of started to become passionate about it and also thought I've got a day job and it's really intense. I really enjoy it. But what what's for me? You know, what can I do that's for me? 
And so I did that and I went to a pattern course, I sourced fabrics, I started to design, I made five different pieces. And so when I launched, because it was workwear, I was kind of giving work career advice as part of the caption. I'd post the dress and then then I'd talk about kind of like how to show up for interviews or how to stakeholder manage or anything like that. And then I realized that people were coming to me more for the career advice than for the dresses. <laughs> so, you know, rather than saying, oh, that looks like a nice piece of kit, how much is it? They were like, oh, uh, that was really interesting what you said about career, about interviews, because, you know, I'm having this challenge at the moment. There's something here about, you know, how to get promotions, how to speak to like leaders about development. And so then I did a career coaching course because I was getting people asking me, well, can you support me with my career? Can you support me through that journey? And so I did a career coaching course to just have a qualification and give kind of the theoretical knowledge on career coaching. And then Rarity London evolved and it evolved into a career coaching. And again, really enjoyed it. But as you know, as a coach, very time consuming. And I was finding that I was working nine to five and then I was doing coaching probably 6.30 to 8.00. I had three children, or at the time I had two children. And so I felt like I, I couldn't give the coaching kind of all it needed. Like I couldn't give my kind of coaches and et cetera. And so I wrote a career journal as my kind of gift to early careers. And so it was a 200-page hardback journal called My Career Guide, a 20-page guide to building your career. And that for me was just a way to kind of help just kind of get started. I was describing it today in a focus group as as your little black book, you know, like what's what are the rules of the road as you progress in your career? And so my career guide, I launched it. I had a really good launch. It was awesome. And I sold 200 copies around the world. It was awesome. But again, the business kind of evolved a little bit. And now we're in 2019, 2020. George Floyd got murdered and from then the world all of a sudden realised that racism existed. And so then I started to talk about it because I thought, well, I can't be part of the problem. If I don't talk about it, I'm being part of the problem. I started talking about it on LinkedIn, started really being consistent on LinkedIn about it. And then Rarity evolved into Hannah Awanaga Limited. And I do a number of speaking. I do quite a lot of work with LinkedIn and other organisations kind of using my voice through my lived experience to tell stories, not only my stories, but other people's stories as well. So at this point in your career, when George Floyd um, was murdered, had you already navigated into the DEI space? Yeah, yeah, I was already in DEI. How long before that had you navigated? Obviously, my career spanned 17 years. So kind of as soon as I became a leader, DNI was on the agenda and then formally moved into kind of culture before moving into DEI. Mm. You were with Barclays for 17 years. What made you stay with one organisation for so long? Opportunity. I, you know, I did eight different roles, had different opportunities to do different things. Um, I had my children there. I was well respected, well regarded in the organisation. I progressed. I felt a sense of belonging because actually I felt like as much as I was giving into the, giving to the organization, in some ways I was getting back. They paid for my degree. I did a degree. At that time, I was progressing at a really steady rate and I was 
fulfilled in my roles and I knew I wanted to progress and the opportunity to progress was there. It's not like that for everybody. I'm not the poster child for any organization, but that was my experience. But I know that that is not the experience of everybody. Mm. So it sounds like it was like a family to you in a sense. I mean, because you started this so young as well, I can kind of understand that. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a family because actually, I don't. I don't really like that analogy because work is work. There was an exchange there. However, there was opportunity, and I suppose I tell everybody today: go where the opportunities are. Stay where the opportunities are. Stay where your values. Stay where you have a voice. Stay where you can share that voice. And so. All of them things happened while I was there and I enjoyed it. I had made loads of amazing friends, mentors, sponsors. But as with anything, I am very self-aware around kind of my own strengths, my abilities, what I want to achieve. And so when I then decided to, uh, when I decided what I wanted to do next in my career, I knew that actually strategically it was really important for me to step out of that you know, that structure now and go and work in an organization that was on a journey that, you know, wanted to build something. And so that's how I kind of moved from Barclays. How did you know it was time to move on? I didn't. Oh, I need to leave now. I think it was about, like I say, as a career coach, you have to go where the stretch is. You have to understand your long-term career aspirations I often talk about my career like my own business so I'm the I'm the CEO of Hannah PLC and that's how I run my career and so I decided that actually in order for me to grow and stretch I needed to go into an organization that I can have impact that I can build that I can grow my own capabilities and so you know I was part of a group DNI team and I knew that I wanted to be head of DNI I wanted to run a business and so the opportunity came to me and it was an awesome opportunity and so I took it and so here I am. Love that I love that okay I'm gonna rewind you a little bit because you already touched on LinkedIn so you said at the time of George Floyd and you had something to say and you wanted to say it so you jumped onto LinkedIn and you started saying it there now at that point were you already active on LinkedIn or were you kind of starting out? Hey, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt your podcast listening experience, but if you are a woman in business, you are going to want to hear this because on Tuesday, the 30th of January, I am running a LinkedIn masterclass called Visible and Profitable to help you learn how to build a business on LinkedIn that is both visible and profitable and do it in a way that doesn't involve any of that spammy, salesy stuff that none of us like. Ilk. So listen, if you are interested in learning how to build your brand and using this brand to attract your ideal clients and create the income, the influence and the impact that you want in your business, then go to startbeingvisible.com forward slash masterclass and register for my LinkedIn masterclass, which is taking place on Tuesday, the 30th of January. And if you get in there early with a VIP pass, you also get a signed copy of my awesome LinkedIn book, Start being visible. So go to startbeingvisible.com forward slash masterclass, get yourself a ticket and I'll see you there. Okay, back to the podcast. I was just starting out. I had like 500 people on my LinkedIn profile. 
um, that's how I started. What made you think this was the best platform for you to talk about it? I felt like if you're going to have conversations, you should have them with people that can influence and have decision-making power. And that is where LinkedIn is. So for me, it was about, it's not a social conversation. It's not a conversation you have in the pub. These are serious conversations. And so you want to have them with people who have decision-making power, who have influence. And so if I can go onto LinkedIn and talk about something and a HR director is what is listening or reading my post or a CEO is reading my post and then they go back into their business and actually change a behavior because of something I've wrote, that is impact. So that is why LinkedIn was the best place because actually this is about systemic long-term change across all DNI metrics. And so that's why I felt that LinkedIn was like the best place to do that. I love that. So it was a strategic move in a sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so. At the time, it wasn't about followers. It isn't still about followers. It was more about I had something to say and I felt like keeping quiet was worse. I just told myself that if I ever say anything, I'll just pretend I'm talking to myself. So I write for myself. I write my thinking. People say how you write like you speak. That is my style. I have a very, I have a crafted tone of voice and it's my tone of voice. And so you know, I have people say, oh, would you, you know, can you help me with your post? Can I, no, I don't want any of that because I have a tone of voice that's important to me. And so, and that seems to be what resonates when you actually talk from, you know, within. That's exactly how you build a personal brand, putting across your thoughts, your views, your voice, and people getting to know you, you know. So in the process of doing that, you've gone from 500 to like 62,000 plus followers and you've been recognized as a LinkedIn top voice in this area of um, career space, diversity, equality, and inclusion, which is absolutely brilliant. So I describe that as being visible. What the show is about women owning their voices like you've done, making that decision. So I'm not going to keep quiet. I'm going to share the things on my heart. You know, so how do you define visibility? What does that word mean to you? For me, visibility is about showing up as your authentic self so it's about understanding who you are what do you want to say what do you have to say and then leading with that visibility is being consistent and showing up being not shying away from difficult conversations not shying away from comments being able to engage in dialogue that's what visibility means to me absolutely so visibility at work do you think about that differently than you do visibility on a platform like LinkedIn or are the two to you like go hand in hand? Absolutely, they're interchangeable. I saw that. I suppose I didn't even expect that. I think that was the biggest thing for me. So many times people would walk up to me at, in my old role and just say, I loved your post. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I forgot that I posted that. You know, like the world's were crossing over in a way that actually I think people haven't even woken up to yet. It increased my visibility in my in my last organisation almost 300 times. I was being approached by people who would be like, Hannah, I follow you on LinkedIn. I didn't know them from nowhere. I would then have our kind of senior leaders engage in my post to a point where I had to speak to media relations and broker this conversation about who am I outside of work and who am I inside of work and how and when do they intersect. And I always say that what ended up happening is that I built a personal brand that then benefited my the organisation that I worked for hugely. 
all of a sudden this black woman is now talking on DNI topics and whenever they clicked in, they clicked in and it was that per it was that brand that I was connected to. So people would then send me emails and say, Oh Hannah, I'm I'm thinking about applying because you know, it looks like this place is such an, an inclusive place because you're up there. So it was so interesting, you know, and now it's really what it's done, it's really opened my eyes to the whole notion of employer branding and just how you utilize your staff to build your brand in a really organic way because it then transpired that everything I was doing outside of work just had a knock-on effect it was like free free publicity for the organization right Um, I didn't look at that because I didn't mind that because I had a mission and a goal and so as long as I was fulfilling my mission as long as I was fulfilling my goal and as long as I was given the freedom and space to do that, which I was, it hugely benefited that organization and any organization that I'm connected to because now I have this big brand. So anything I post, anything I talk about, anywhere I go, any places that I speak, people see me and then they associate that with the brand. They associate it with my own brand, Hannah Awanuga. I believe that that is now its own brand, but then also with the brand that I am connected to, like Night Frank. Spot on. And this is what um, I wrote in an article um, sometime last year about the rise of employee influencers. And this is exactly it, is as an employee, you building your brand outside of your company, your organization ends up benefiting your company and organization anyway, while it's benefiting you. So it's a win-win. So companies that are like, oh, don't post on LinkedIn and, you know, super guarding their employees when it comes to how they show up on social media, are absolutely missing a trick. It's such an important point, right? But there's so many layers to it. So absolutely, social media can be a a great tool to get voices out there, diverse voices out there, and can build brands and can benefit organisations. But there is a misuse of it. You know, I think that there was a trust between me and the organisation. There was awareness of me on, on what I'm saying and how I'm being portrayed. and so there's. I think it's important because we've seen in recent months about how people use social media and and actually it doesn't have the same effect as quite a negative effect. So, you know, there's social media guidelines in organisations. I absolutely believe in them. There's media relations teams. I absolutely believe in them. You have to work with these teams because it's not just about having freedom of speech and saying what you want because you are connected to your employer and people have been sacked. You read it all the time for things that they post. It's about really cultivating what you want to say, who you are, and then being strategic about how you how you execute that. There's definitely the need to have guidelines in place. My background is communication, so um, I worked in comms. So it, it is that whole thing of work with the comms team, but give your employees like not like don't make it a comms department responsibility to just kind of churn out corporate jargon that no one's interested in because that does not build your employee brand i suppose the the last thing to say on that is that from an attraction perspective people want to hear from people what's it like to work here you know how much freedom and space do you get to be able to be yourself And that is a deciding factor for a lot of people when they're looking for new roles, when they're looking for organizations to work with. So having your employees on social media talking not only about the company, but really talking about what they care about actually Mm -hmm. has an impact on attraction. Definitely. And and on that note of talking about what you care about, 
Um, I noticed it maybe a few months ago. I don't know if you were doing it from before that, but I noticed that you started, you start, you share scriptures, you know, on a on a Sunday. And and I know that you're a Christian, you're a practicing Christian. So at some point you made the decision that you were gonna incorporate this more openly in your um on LinkedIn. What happened? Like what made you come to that decision? And were you afraid of like any kind of backlash? Because people say, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, don't talk about whatever on LinkedIn. And here you are posting scriptures openly and you're in a senior role in an organization. How do you marry the two? Yeah, so I differentiate religion from faith. Mm-hmm. So that's my first thing, right? I practice my faith. A few months ago, I was kind of thinking well I've been given a platform you know and if I know anything about the scripture I know that actually I if I'm given a platform then actually I should use that platform to at least share my own beliefs my own faith and so the Sunday scriptures are interesting I didn't really I I didn't really give it much thought so it wasn't like right I'm now going to be posting scriptures I think just one Sunday I was thinking to myself you know I was, it was something on my heart it was really important to me and I just thought like the world feels really tough at the moment like in so many different ways cost of living war all of these different things and so I wanted to share something that I felt had lifted my spirit um, in the hope that actually it might lift somebody else's spirit so you know I'm not I'm not forcing it down anybody's throat. I do it once a week. It's just something I do. I don't write a lot of commentary on off the back of it. It's there and I post it. And I suppose it's just recognizing that things are tough for people at the moment in various different ways. And sometimes people want to know that other people are going through things or wanting to know that, you know, just helping people on that journey and giving people that sense of community. And what I found on LinkedIn is that you know, people didn't talk about their religion, you know, and I knew that there were some Christian people on. I knew that there were, you know, people that are actually doing amazing things in the church, but didn't ever post about it on LinkedIn. And so I wanted to start. I thought, look, if they see me, maybe that will give them a bit of encouragement to to do that. And I'm not, you know, I, I believe that everybody has a personal relationship with God and a personal faith that they believe in. So it's not about me going, say, you have to now believe what I believe. It's just about me saying, this is what I believe. This is what has helped me. And I think in the workplace, one of the things, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. I was having a conversation with somebody and I I ended it by saying, by God's grace. And I paused because I was like, oh, should I say that in the workplace? Am I allowed to say that? And then I thought, well, that's who you are. You know, Sunday, my Sunday posts and it's just part of who I am. So I talk about diversity and inclusion and culture and belonging and so I felt like well Hannah you're not really practicing what you preach if you don't bring your whole self and so that's where it's come from and I appreciate that it resonates with people and it will be something that I will do for as long as I want to do it and it's it's something that's important to me that is just allowing me to be my whole self in every aspect of my life and my career is a big aspect of my life. Mm, I, I, I totally get that because I, I think it was I had a similar kind of realization maybe about six months ago where I was like this whole okay I have a platform and an inflammer Christian as well I love Jesus you know so now I was like actually my faith 
I like you. I distinguish between religion and faith. I don't have religion. I have faith. I have Jesus, <laughs> you know? I was like, my faith is actually part of my personal brand. And I preach personal branding. And here's a huge element of who I am that I don't talk about that much publicly. That's got to change because I'm not being authentic. I think there's something really liberating, isn't it? When you can yeah. just bring yourself to the forefront on a platform like LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't question. People were like, oh, but, you know, are you worried about your career? Are you worried about what it might do? But I, I, I found the question confusing because why would it be? You know, I, I'm employed to do a job. I do my job well, but it's just who I am. I just, you know, I'm sensible. Everyone should be sensible, right, in anything you post. And I want to make sure that I don't ever come across like I am trying to do something for an agenda like I said it was for me everything I do on LinkedIn is for me so I I feel like I'm talking to myself my younger self my older self myself now and so yeah it's so liberating and it's so freeing actually because it just means I can be Hannah I don't profess to being this really religious I say it to my friends all the time you know I have my own personal relationship with God and that might very look that does look different to how it might show up in other people. But this is my way and I'm comfortable with this way and, and this way works for me. OK, so in relation to visibility and your private life, what's your take on that? Because I noticed that I think you're a little bit similar to me. I'm not sure because I had to hunt hard to find posts about your, I know you've got three children, you've got two two boys and a, and a daughter, and, and I know you're married and stuff. I had to hunt hard on LinkedIn and even Instagram. Then I found a photo of your husband on Instagram. I was like, oh, you know, and then there was, I didn't see anything on your kids kind of thing. So I'm getting from that, that you kind of keep a line between what you make public and what you keep private. Is that right? Yeah, such a funny story about that, actually, because I was talking to my husband about that recently because he said to me that somebody brought to his attention that when you type Hannah Awanuga into Google, the first suggestion is Hannah Awanuga's husband. (laughs) So we had a little joke about, you know, like people are trying to find you, babe. Like they're trying to find out who who my husband is. and, And we laughed about that. But my personal life and my home life, like I share what I'm comfortable sharing. I'm married and my husband is you know we've been together for a number of time been uh, for a long time been married for 12 years I have three children my eldest is going to be 16 my middle son is 12 my daughter is just turned, turned five on Monday my daughter has a genetic disorder so she requires extra care but actually what I post is about me and and my work and and DNI and sometimes that crosses over you know as a working parent or as a mother who's also a carer or who or a working mother who's also dyslexic and now in a senior position. And so all of these sometimes intersect, but at the same time, my family is important to me. And so keeping that safe as well is important. And the other day we were in Blue Water and I was with my kids and somebody walked up to me and said, oh, you Hannah from LinkedIn. And my my kids boy was so cool, but it just was like, wow, these lines can sometimes blur. And is it a deliberate decision to keep, Photos of your kids off social media. Yeah, it is because they have a choice. You know, like my oldest has got Instagram. You know, like they have a choice to when they want to put their pictures out and when they want to showcase themselves. And that is all a choice that I want them to make, not one that I should make for them. I'm the same. I rarely talk about my kids unless it's relevant. There is the people like 
oh, but you're you're always out there. You're visible. You share everything. I'm like, I don't share everything. I have a private life, <laughs> you know. And I guess you have to kind of protect that boundary, especially someone like you. You're super busy. You've got a lot going on. And it's like, how do you switch off? How do you find time to recharge and find space for yourself in the midst of everything you have going on? Oh, my God. That is that is like like a golden question. If you have the answer for that, like, please <laughs> put it in the chat because... <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah no still not able to switch off you know still still I feel like my work plays a big role in my life and so there's there's probably a balance that I need to come to I have a word for every year right so I do a vision board I put it on my phone and then I have a word last year's word was abundance the year before was elevation and this year is ease um for the exact question that you've asked me is because you know, sometimes, especially as you, if you're black or ethnically diverse in the corporate space, you are chasing, you are chasing the grade or the role or the promotion or something, you know, like you are constantly in this race to achieve. And that sometimes comes from, it's coming from a place of, you know, like I said, scarcity, maybe you didn't have it before, now you want it. This year, my word is ease, because actually, I want to sit and embrace all of what God has given to me, you know, my new job, just about to complete in our house, all of these things. So instead of trying to chase, I really want to just start to think more about well-being, start to think more about health, start to think more about how can I enjoy everything that I've been working hard to achieve. You feel like you've arrived. I'm not sure about if I've arrived at my destination. I don't know if a destination is actually, is it, where, where is that? Like, what is that? I think it's more about I am enjoying the journey. In that journey, sometimes you have to take a seat and enjoy mm-hmm. the sunshine. And I feel like for a long time I wasn't. I was like, right, journey, we're on the go, you know, get in the car, put the seatbelt on, we are going. And so this year I really want to just enjoy the sunset a little bit, as they say, that's what all of that. So like. My job is going really well. Great people, great organisation. You know, my home, my my son's preparing for GCSEs, giving him a bit more of my attention, my daughter, my other, my middle son, my husband, but also my voice, you know, like I've, I've found an established voice. I do loads for LinkedIn. So LinkedIn flew me to New York last year to speak at Talent Connect. That was awesome. I met Michelle Obama last year. That was awesome. So just really enjoying kind of, Join the experiences of the work that I've done. I love that. And, and I guess all that experience in terms of your voice and LinkedIn, the platform, you didn't think that would happen, did you? Are you surprised at where that journey is taking you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In August, I was having a look at my analytics and I'd reached 6 million impressions like, in wow. 12 months. 6 million in 12 months. Like how... Like, where would you ever get that reach as an individual person? I'm in awe sometimes of the reach or the, or the messages that I get or the people that are impacted by it, what I say or, the, or, or if they've heard me or if I've been, of course, I'm just in awe of kind of that impact because, you know, I, I, I say, I've said a few times, my resignation posts hit half a million people that's the power of a personal brand. What if I had something bad to say? That would have a, the same effect, but I had great things to say. So that was a huge benefit to the organization. 
I never knew, never in a million years would I have imagined kind of starting to write about my own personal experiences and feelings would get me to this point where now recognized as, um, you know, my voice is recognized for the work that I do. I love that. That is fantastic. And that is a brilliant place to end on because yours is a voice that we definitely need, that we want to hear more of that. You know, I'm sure everybody listening right now, if they plug in even more to your work, it's going to benefit their lives positively in some way. So, Anna, I, I celebrate you for stepping up to the challenge of being visible and just putting yourself out there for the rest of us to benefit from. Thank you. No worries at all. Thank you so much for inviting me. And yeah, I love what you do. Honestly, I love what you do. And so you inspire me. And I'll tell you, I bought your book. I, was, I need to get serious about this visibility piece. So, you know, thank you for all the resources that you share because it's helped me along the way as well. Thank you so much. So if we want to connect with you, is it via LinkedIn to go and find <laughs> That is a silly question. <laughs> connect with me on LinkedIn. You're on LinkedIn now. Press the connect yeah. button. Follow. You know, International <laughs> Women's Day is around the corner. So you know definitely from a speaking perspective love to share my perspective and voice and and I have been doing it for many years so yeah excited about this year you've been listening to the start be invisible podcast with me Mildred Talavi If you're a female leader or a woman in business and you're ready to start your own journey to being visible on LinkedIn and beyond, get in touch with me via LinkedIn or reach out to me through my website at startbeingvisible.com. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your way out and I'll see you next week for another five episodes.